can you speak more about the types of funding that you've seen or like how how do you how do you get the money for these types yeah, of projects that's a very great question that's like a major component of that class how do we get the money where is yeah, our capital where's the money <laughs> yeah, show me the, the money, money? <laughs> show me the money where's our yeah. capital coming from so yeah. most of the time our capital comes from grants there are lots of grants out there programs like non-profit organizations mm. Uh, funding comes from philanthropic investors, foundations. Mm-hmm. Our funding comes from social impact investors, maybe ultra wealthy individuals. They don't know what they're using the money for and they want to <laughs> do good. So mm-hmm. we look, we target the people that want to do good. There is a network of people that are so rich, ultra wealthy, that want to do good. The idea is give while you leave, <laughs> you know, you have the money right. instead of targeting being on Forbes, you know, list target being on, you know, global social, um, you know, movement list. So mm-hmm. there is a, a group of people that are actually into in this space, social impact investors. So those are our targets for projects like this. But the issue is to actually, although major task is to show the social benefit of your project as easy as it may sound and to quantify it in terms of numbers even if these investors are not for profits driven they still want to see numbers in terms of social benefits jobs creation skills um, acquisition Welcome back, everyone, to the UE podcast. This is your co-host, Peter Federico, and this is the second episode in the Coffee Chat series, and I'm really excited to have been paired up with Laura. Um, I actually know Laura. She is in one of my classes, Community Engagement, this semester. But, you know, class is so hectic sometimes, I haven't gotten a chance to to get to know her too, too well. So I'm excited to do that in the next hour or 45 minutes. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Peter. My full name is Amalara Isyalauta. I go by Lara. And I'm currently a student, a first-year student in the Master's in Public Policy Program at UEP. This is my, my second semester. I started in the summer. And so far, it's been great. And I'm looking forward to delving into more courses across UAP and, yeah, soaking up as much as I can. Awesome. So we had just been talking before we jumped on about today is Veterans Day, and so we don't have classes. Although you had said that Fridays are typically a a work day for you. Exactly. Friday is my day to kind of take a step back and, you know, catch up on other things apart from academic work. Yeah. Can you introduce yourself? Yeah, tell me a little bit more about the engagement class. Yeah, so, um, you know, we're in community engagement together. I'm finishing up my my program here. I'm in the MS Sustainability, which is a 12 to 15 month program. So I started in the summer of 2021, so last summer, and I'm wrapping up my final three classes here this semester. So I'll be graduating in December, which is very nerve wracking, also exciting. And my time went by really fast here, uh, which is both good and bad. So uh, yeah, in my my undergrad, in my background is biology and ecology. And I came to 
wanting to learn more about urban planning and really more broadly learn more about social systems and how humans organize themselves to solve problems. I'm pretty familiar with how the natural world and, and through biology, how systems are made. And I came to a realization in the past few years that in order to have a lot of environmental impact, you know, positive environmental change, we need to support people and social systems that those are not separate entities. So I've been learning a lot about systems thinking and, you know, different sustainability frameworks and, and things like that. And I'm not totally sure what I want to go out and do in the world. I think I'll probably end up end up doing many things. But right now I have a bit of an interest in resiliency planning and, and just broadly resilience or restoration work, something that I can do a little, you know, use a little bit of my science background, a little bit of what I've learned through this program and, um, you know, have a, have a hand in making some change. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting. Um, uh, I've come across a lot of biological, uh, biology, you know, students or the foundation in biology. And um, mm. there's an area they seem to be looking at in terms of material innovation, using um, a lot of natural products for materials. So I don't know if you know, a little about that? I do actually. It's funny you bring that up because that is one of my sort of sub passions. And I have been considering maybe trying to pursue further education in biomaterials. But uh, my experience with biomaterials goes back a few years after I graduated from undergrad. I taught a course at Phillips Exeter called Science in Nature Biomimicry Beyond Benign. And so the purpose of the class was I was teaching students about the concept of biomimicry, which, if you're not familiar, is it's really looking to nature and being inspired by nature through either the way a natural system is maintained or maybe a certain property or adaptation that even a specific species might have and translating that unique property into. Um, solving a human problem. And so one of the coolest examples, I think, well, there, I'll share two. One is, do you know, have you heard of the kingfisher bird? I believe so, yes. Yeah, they're a, a very interesting bird that their beak is shaped, sort of elongated, and it's a very specific design that has been, you know, evolved over time. And what that beak does is it it specializes this bird and it allows the kingfisher to dive into the water to catch its prey with no sound whatsoever when it breaks the surface of the water. And so engineers and other scientists, they were encountering this problem a while ago. I forget the dates exactly, but a while ago, um, you know, like the bullet trains, those really fast trains in China and, and elsewhere, they were having issues where the trains were going through tunnels and hitting you know, they're not hitting water, but they're hitting a compressed air surface. And so it was creating a lot of noise, which obviously people in the surrounding areas didn't like. And so they actually adapted the Kingfisher beak design and put that design of the beak and the way it's elongated. They've made that be the front end of the bullet train so that now when it goes through tunnels and it goes through silently, and it actually has sped up the bullet trains to their top speeds. So uh, that's just one example. Another one is in medical application, sharks, their skin, the physical structure, if you look at the micro sort of level of their structure, 
it's formed in a way the patterning is naturally antibiotic. It doesn't allow bacteria to grow on their skin. So that's one sort of positive thing about sharks. They always are clean for the most part and antibiotic. And so researchers, they analyze the structure of the shark skin and somehow converted it into this material that can be reproduced and then applied to surfaces such as doorknobs or like the part of a door where you push or uh, handrails, various surfaces. And the company is called Sharklet. S-H-A-R-K-L-E-T. You can look them up and you can buy it yourself. It's a film that you unwrap it and you can put it onto any adhering surface. And the most common or useful application is they are starting to use it in hospitals now um, because obviously the hospitals are a very germy, bacteria-filled place. And so certain hospitals, they've bought this material and they've put it onto um, you know, surfaces, which helps reduce the likelihood of people getting sick and infected from one another. And it also helps decrease the time needed to clean hospitals. You know, it saves time for the maintenance staff. They don't have to clean those materials as often or those surfaces with this technology. So those are just a couple biomimicry examples that, that I have to share. Yeah, this is absolutely interesting to me because I've also been reading about material innovation like you. It's actually been something that I'm thinking in terms of vocationality you know, to get into. So that's very interesting that you have such a strong background in it. Yeah, it's really fun. And I had never really learned much about biomimicry in school until I had the opportunity to teach this class and got really interested in it. Mm -hmm. And from that, um, started learning, learning more about the power of fungi and mushrooms and mushroom material. Mycelium is something Mm -hmm. that I've been really interested in. I was in Christine's green urban design class last semester. And that was my whole, we, we do a group project where we propose a redevelopment for a site. And my whole role in that project was suggesting different designs and different biomaterials to use in the construction of our buildings. So I, I did a lot of research about mycelium for that. Um, I saw you nodding your head and your eyes light up. Yes, mycelium. So what do you know about Because that? I've actually been researching on mycelium leather as you know, alternatives oh. to um, you know, animal skin leather. So that's oh, cool! It. I haven't actually heard about mycelium for leather alternative. That's awesome. Mushrooms, yes, it's actually a big innovation in terms of the leather industry using mm-hmm. mycelium. So that's exciting to hear. Yeah, that's very cool. What got you into mycelium and materials um, innovation? I was just very interested in alternatives to everyday products. Then I started cool. researching, you know, is also in, in line with sustainability, you know, Absolutely. trying to reduce our carbon footprint and go more natural. Then I stumbled upon material innovation using natural resources to actually produce everyday goods. So that got me excited and my you know that light bulb spark yeah that's awesome i um for my for green urban design i did a lot of research about the application for mycelium and other alternative materials in terms of building principles and what the research is showing is that mycelium for instance has a lot of properties that would be really really beneficial to use to build our homes in various ways um for instance as insulation foam instead of the chemical foam, as flooring or really anywhere where currently there's wood. Um, Different companies have made or they've tested that mycelium, it has a 
a better thermal capacity of capacity to retain and then emit heat than current materials do. It also is extremely fire resistant. So mm -hmm. thinking about, you know, especially out West, the futures of, of living in fires out there, and that's really going to be a lifestyle that is going to have to be adapted to. I really see mycelium as a really mm -hmm. powerful mater material that, you know, the construction industry could use as a way to safeguard homes. Awesome. You know, this is really good to talk to you about this aspect, given that it's also been something I've been, you know, doing in terms of research on the site. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. And there's so, so many ways you can actually relate it to sustainability, you know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, Tell me more about your background and what led you to UEP. And just to confirm, you're a first year? Yes, absolutely. So uh, my background is in economics. I have an economics background and um, I'm in my first year in the MPP program. That's the master's in public policy at UEP. So what brought me here was um, with my background in economics, I happen to have a lot of work experience working for policy institutions, non-governmental institutions with the public sector. Um, interestingly, most of my experience has been in Canada. So I'm Canadian, I have that background. So um, yeah, then UEP was actually one of my employers in Canada was the one that actually is a strong proponent of TOFs. So, actually laid me down this road and so far so good nice you mentioned you're canadian how are you born and raised canadian in canada yes absolutely and and where in canada are you from um brampton ontario okay cool do you know the area no just i just know ontario but not um, yeah the town or city what did you like most about where you grew up um, just the diversity is very diverse. You know, you find everybody and every anything you're looking for, you find in Ontario. Ontario um, has, Toronto in itself has one of the largest diverse populations. So then the food, you have a variety of food, the cultures, you know, it's always a vibrant place to be. Awesome. Awesome. And so did you move? You said you had been employed. Are you yeah. still are so you part-time like working? And yeah. Yeah, my, my current situation is I'm still working, you know, but it's remote work. So I'm able to manage school and manage work obligations. And yeah, it's been it's been working so far, you know, just a lot of work to do. My schedule is always packed, but I'm able to manage it. That's good. What are some tips you have for managing? And are you a part-time student or are you full-time? I'm actually a full-time student. So one of the tips that I did was all my classes this fall term, I try to get evening classes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So my classes start from like 6 p.m. in the evening. Or oh, I have a class that starts by 4.30 p.m., but it's still manageable. So it helps me like during the day, in the morning, during the afternoon. I can do some other things. Then in the mm -hmm. evening, I dedicate my evenings to class. Then I dedicate my Friday, Saturday, Sunday to assignments. So that way it's manageable. It's just about scheduling. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. That makes sense. That is one nice thing about there's sort of a diversity in the program of when classes are held. You do have that option. If you want to take all classes at night, that's certainly possible. Speaking of classes, so we're both in community engagement. What other classes are you in this semester? I'm also in there's a seminar, the public policy seminar. I'm also in um, community economic development. And I'm, I'm taking quite a lot of classes because my target is to finish this in as short a time as possible. Mm-hmm. And I'm also in the gap between law and justice. Awesome. Those all sound really cool. What's um, What's been your favorite class so far or something cool um, you've done? I, I'm, actually, I'm gravitating towards the community economic development, maybe because of my background in economics, as well as the practicality of what we are learning. So it's um it's opening up my mind to entrepreneurship, you know, ways that I could finance a business, you know, how to propose a business to potential investors and get financing from it, um, hmm. social impact ventures, social enterprises. Oh, so very cool. that class is really cool. We're learning a lot about um financial statements, how to drop like as a small business owner or a startup. Um, how do you draw up a financial for a potential investor who is interested in your business? So we're learning all the rudimentals. Ah, that sounds so, awesome. I wish yeah, I had taken that. It's actually very practical. If yeah, you have the like entrepreneurship, it. you know, drive within you, it's something that will open up your mind to opportunities, mm. like the kind of capital you'll be sourcing for. You know, I'm on a project now that we're working on building a restaurant like a social enterprise restaurant, a farm to table kind of, you know, restaurant. So we're looking at funding from various sources, contributions, grants, philanthropic supporters and funders. So Mm. it's, it's, it's interesting for sure. Wow. That sounds really awesome. And that's, and that's called economic community development. Community economic development. Yeah. Community economic development. And who teaches that? Um, Jeff Rosen, I believe he's new to the department. Okay. Yeah, the, the name isn't familiar to me. Awesome. Do you know is this is has this class been around? Do you know or? Yeah, yeah, it was around. Um, it's been around. I believe the person that was taking it is Deborah, but she's no more with the UEP. So. Oh, okay. Jeff Rosen, this is his first class in UEP actually. Mm. So, it's it's very engaging for we the students. Awesome. What does he do as a professor that makes it engaging? So he has a financial background. He was a CFO for a major philanthropic organization. Oh, wow. So with a finance background, he knows um, the inroads and how to structure. It's more, you know, economic development is about financial empowerment, right? Yeah. Being able to access financial resources to actually carry out an idea you have. So he has that strong financial background to help you um, gear your projects towards actualization. I'm just taking some notes. That's really cool. Yeah. And also social impact. We're doing a lot of work in social impact. First of all, your project has to have a social impact component. Mm, So you You said you're making a farm to table restaurant. What's the social impact for your project? 
Um, so it's a group project. So we're working in a group of four that are working on this project. Our social impacts is we're looking at um, having our restaurant as a training ground for youths or young adults. So they can shadow the chef, they can shadow the, you know, floor staff. Awesome. Young adults, maybe within the age range of 18 to 30, yeah. you know, want to get experience in the kitchen or the restaurant industry. Mm -hmm. So as well as working, they are also under training as well as, and we're paying them as well. So and we're targeting. That's important. Um, yeah. yeah, economically um, at risk youths in a particular district in um, Dorchester. So neighborhood. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so this is very this is very practical. It's not. Yeah. I I mean I assume that I assume the project is hypothetical. You guys aren't actually doing We're this, not, but yeah. But it, well. it's it's practical in that you've really thought about this is the location, this is the district for why these are the demographics, and I'm sure those sort of existing conditions, if you will, or those circumstances have probably influenced your design of your your restaurant or the the you know the business, I guess. It, if you will say that, and and the social impact component, how do you help these members of that community? Yeah, um, how we help them is, for example, training, so they can go out, they've got the skills, they can go out to get jobs. Mm -hmm. um, also, you know, keeping them busy yeah. um, in the kitchen, you know, giving them money because we're paying them as well because they're working as well. And, you know, it's just targeted at a certain group of people. So it's not open for all. It's just to empower a certain group of people. So that's our social impact. Interestingly, we've estimated about $2 million to fund this project because we're looking at a space, you know. So it's something we're preparing such that if we want to take it to the bank or to social impact investors, we can pitch it and, you know, get finance for it. We're looking at a space like a restaurant of about, that can host about 50 tables, maybe four per table. So like mm. 200 people, yeah. you know, sourcing local, locally sourced goods. So we're looking at all those dynamics. That's really cool. I'm curious if you've had any insights or surprise you know, or things have been surprising as you've been learning about, you just met, briefly mentioned, you've learned about the different avenues for getting funding for these, you know, businesses that are really more geared towards creating social impact and economic development and not necessarily about, you know, raking in the profits for the CEO or the board. Can you speak more about the types of funding that you've seen or like how how do you how do you get the money for these types yeah, of projects that's a very great question that's like a major component of that class how do we get the money where is yeah, our capital where's the money yeah, <laughs> show me the money, the money? <laughs> show me the money where's our yeah. capital coming from so yeah. most of the time our capital comes from grants there are lots of grants out there you just have to like federal and state government federal grants? state grants yes um programs like non-profit organizations mm, okay um our funding comes from contributions individual contributions our funding comes from um philanthropic investors foundations mm -hmm. our funding comes from 
um, social impact investors, maybe ultra wealthy individuals. They don't know what they're using the money for and they want to do good. So we look, we target the people that want to do good. There is a network of people that are so rich, ultra wealthy, that want to do good. The idea is give while you leave. <laughs> you know, you have the money. Right. Instead of targeting being on Forbes, you know, list, target being on, you know, global, social, um, you know, movement list. So mm-hmm. there is a, a group of people that are actually into in this space, social impact investors. So those are our targets for projects like this. But the issue is to actually, or the major task is to show the social benefit of your project. As easy as it may sound, and to quantify it in terms of numbers, even if these investors are not for profits driven, they still want to see numbers in terms of social benefits, jobs creation, skills um, acquisition, mm. um, enriching the lives of disadvantaged people or marginalized communities. So you have to be able to quantify these social benefits. It seems like there's a lot of opportunity for funding. You just listed off a bunch, grants and social impact investors. What's getting in the way? Why aren't, why aren't we seeing more of these social impact projects or businesses? And I think you're right on. It probably comes down to that piece of quantifying the social impact and the other sort of minute and the minutia about what the benefits are that are not just in dollars and cents. Exactly. That's where the major brain power comes in. What are the <laughs> benefits of my project? As easy yeah. as it sounds, once you start going into it, you'll be like, oh, my project doesn't really have social benefits. <laughs> it's really for profits. No, I have to go back and rework it, you know? Yeah, totally. Cool. Well, good luck. Um, you, your project must be kind of starting to wrap up, or where are you guys in your... Yeah, we're we're currently still in the drafting stage, currently carrying on market research and data analysis. So Mm. that's going well. Super cool. I wish I had um, clicked more on this description of this class. I I, sounds like I would have really liked it because I've been thinking a lot about I have a lot of good ideas, I feel like, that are kind of in the realm of, I guess, social impact and whatnot. And I'm, I'm just like, I don't know how how you go from ideas to action with that action, stuff. Yeah. So it sounds like yes. this is a really great, great class. Yes, absolutely. The, the question the class starts with is what's your dream job or business in the next year? That gives you, that gets you thinking. So, mm. you know. Cool. And is, is that a large class? Is it like discussion based or? In, in terms of numbers, we're about um, 10. Nice. Good size. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So that's got to, that's your favorite class this semester. Yeah. In terms of impact. Yeah. I've learned a lot from the class in terms of the practicality, you know, I'm looking for classes that I can take outside of the classroom, you know, not just learning the theory. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. How about you? What has been your most impactful class this semester? I would say the arts of communication has been sort of the most impactful class for me this semester. I've been over the course of the year trying to hone in more on sort of public, I guess, public speaking skills and 
sort of strategies and frameworks for storytelling and getting the word out about these sustainability challenges and solutions. We're having a larger issue in the messaging of, especially with the climate crisis, the urgency that we need to address these problems. Um, and so that that class arts of communication has been really beneficial because we've really been sort of breaking down and analyzing how people communicate and for instance, like what are the techniques that you could employ to persuade someone, for instance, or what are the techniques about storytelling that are really impactful in changing someone's mind and various things like that. And so the class we've, the class alternates between, you know, some lecture where we learn stuff and some group activity, but then over the course of the semester, we have to give three, four minute speeches. So we've at this point already given two out of the three speeches um, and the, the speeches are different themes. So the first theme was a persuasive speech, just persuade us about anything you want. The second so what did you persuade them about? Uh, yeah, so I, I tried to persuade people to consider buying what's called an eco toilet or a composting toilet and install that in their home. And then my second speech, problem solution speech, I talked about death care, the problem with death care in, in the United States and how, you know, it's a huge for-profit industry where a lot of people are getting ripped off for the services and talked about the environmental implications of burial and cremation, both of which are not good. And also just generally talked about this is really a larger issue of that we are so disconnected from the death process in the United States. I don't know how it is in Canada. I would, I would assume it's somewhat similar, but it could be, could be different. But I know in, you know, United States is very um, unique in some of the processes we use in terms of embalming and burial in a casket that is completely sealed forever. And one of the really unique things that we do in the United States is that when you buy a plot for your grave, I think they call it, you're buying it in perpetuity or something where it's forever, that that plot is yours forever. So if you think about it, we obviously can't keep doing it that way. We're gonna run out of land to bury people. So there are a lot of problems that I discussed and then um, the solution being green burial practices, such as just actually burying the body in the ground, not embalming, et cetera. And um, also there are these companies that are starting to do human composting, which is very interesting. You can send them your, um, your family members remains and then through a, a process, you know, very similar to just well, how we compost our food scraps or our yard waste. Uh, they compost the body and then send you back the soil and you can do whatever you want with the soil, grow, grow something out of your loved one. And so I love that idea because I'm, I'm a nature lover and I want, you know, all the nutrients that made my body came from this earth. I want all those nutrients to go back and, and give life to something else. That's sort of my framework. And, and so I, I hope that I think the more people are starting to consider these alternative, more green burial practices, but so that was my problem solution speech. And I incorporated a little story about my first experience with death care when my grandmother died and uh, using that story 
that was sort of one of the elements of communication, right? Is like, if you tell a really personal story, it, it helps engage the audience and sort of persuade them more. So my feedback for that speech was really resoundingly positive and yeah, that speech went well. So I'm, I'm hoping to continue that upward trajectory for my final speech, which is about values, something about value. Um, and that's gonna be a, a tough one. I, I'm gonna really need to think about what I wanna say because it's only four minutes too. That's been a really interesting class and just again, beginning to unpack and learn about how words are structured. And of course we've been using a lot of political examples and mm -hmm. um, you know, cause the whole political sphere, it's all about communicating certain messages, certain ways, right? So I've been really taking these techniques and trying to adapt them to, you know, the things that I'm interested in, eco toilets, human composting, mm -hmm. like these kind of out there wacky things. Uh, so it's been fun. Oh, that's exciting! You know, I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I'm like actually intrigued about human composting because I'm hearing it for the first time. Yeah, if you want to look it up, or listeners, if you want to look it up too, um, the company that I had found, they're based in Washington State. They're called Recompose, R E C O M P O S E, I believe. And one of the thing you may be wondering why. Am I just now hearing about human composting? Why, if you Google it, why are there only a handful of companies doing that? And well, it, it's like most things in this country, it goes back to the laws. And that in most states currently, it is illegal to practice human composting or to do green burial sites, which is what traditional burial used to be, where you just you know bury the body in the ground. Unsurprisingly, Vermont is a state that recently passed legislation to allow human composting. And of course, um, Washington state has passed a similar law a few years ago. So that's why this company Recomposts is, is based there. So like any other things, if we, if we want these systems and the way that the world works to change, this is one thing I've realized is it, it really does involve politics and law and, and rewriting or, or changing certain laws to make, make things possible again. Yeah, absolutely. I just did a Google search and I see that in California, they've passed the law to allow human composting, but it begins in 2027. Yes, I saw that too. It's interesting that like the law gets passed and is, mm -hmm. I guess, in the books, but then it doesn't actually get enacted until later on. I wonder if maybe that's because they they want to allow some lead time for like the industry or the companies to, de you know, develop and maybe work really? out some of the kinks yeah. first before they just kind of start <laughs> trying to compost human yeah. bodies, you know, I human guess that bodies, would make sense. Right? Yeah. Interesting. So, okay. Um, the main question, what do you want to do with your degree afterwards? So what I want to do with the degree, I mean, the, at its very baseline, I want to make a difference and make change. And so I know I'm going to do that. And I already actually have done that in my life through being a teacher for a couple of years in between undergrad and grad school. Uh, I know I've made some impact on some kids and, and vice versa. And that's one of the things I love about teaching. And I could definitely see myself going back to teaching at some point, but I would like to go out into industry in some way and, and make some sort of a difference. Ideally, I think working somewhere in the realm of like ecological restoration projects or um, social impact or, or something like that. I don't know. 
interesting that you have this idea similar to mine yeah i'm looking at what yeah, about you? in in terms of um this bio space in terms of material innovation like i've been reading up on it in terms of like a vocation like my pastime but mm -hmm. trying to connect it with policy in terms of sustainability actions so that's like long term for me that i like to you know focus on awesome and do you hope to carry your economics background into your future career with that or are do, are you thinking that that was just sort of a, a baseline and jumping off point no i i will consider myself an economist first okay so i'm always I like an that. economist yeah i like that because i feel like i'm a broken record i'm always saying to people like when we're ever introducing like i'm a biologist like that is what i connect to most deeply with is I'm like a biologist I, first. I connect so I like strongly that. with an econ we being yeah. an economist rather than even a public policy specialist. Yeah. Yeah. So that's nice, nice to hear that you're kind of similar with that with your original training. Yeah. And and I mean I can tell you just from what I know about the biomaterials world or mycelium, for instance, like one of the major companies doing mycelium at a large scale you know retail production is ecovative e c o v a t i v e they i think you know they ran they randomly have some job postings and a lot of them are either for like foremen and like op, like manufacturing operations personnel or it's like economics business roles so i would i would say if you're looking to stay in sort of that economic role but do more in the social impact or the biomaterials i'm i'm sure that there are there are opportunities that would be benefited from your background absolutely i will definitely check it out sounds great yeah cool well i'm noticing the time do you want to stay on for another 10 and like chat briefly about something else like maybe personal life or something um um, I don't think I have much to say. <laughs> Do you okay. have anything to say in terms of personal? I'll just share, like, you know, how we just mentioned, I identify as a biologist. I also identify as a New Hampshireite. Half of this week I was at home um, at my parents' house in, in New Hampshire. And where I'm from, we live in the woods. Like, one of our neighbors wow. is, like, half a mile away. So... It's always nice to be able to go back home and sort of decompress a little bit yeah. from city life. I, I live, you know, 20 minute walk from campus. So, you know, sometime, and I live in a residential part of Somerville. So, you know, it is quieter than the city, but even still for me, someone that, I guess, I guess someone told me the other day that I'm a country boy at heart and I guess I, I am, but not in the stereotypical ways. So it's, it's been nice to, to decompress this week, be in the woods and stuff. Um, that must be yeah. fun growing up in the woods, like being exposed to nature and playing with nature all. Yeah, I mean, it's no surprise that, you know, I am a nature lover and, and biologist. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, you know, I, I joke like my playground growing up was the woods. Like I, I remember going out with friends or even by myself, just um, me and my dog, we would go out into the woods there was like a brook near my house and sort of like a, a wetlands area and would always go out and play there any season every season even the winter um, very fun did you ever get into foraging 
No, I have not. That's that's something that I've seen it, heard about, seen, and definitely mm. very cool. Are you, do you do foraging at all? No, mushrooms? I'm not, not a huge also. mushroom eater. Like I'm very pro mycelium for buildings and insulation and all this stuff, but I myself don't really mess with mushrooms edibly. I would love for someone to change that because I know mushrooms are really good for you, but yeah. Yeah, me neither. I just see the, you know, see it around, but no. Yeah. Uh, cool. cool. Yeah, it's been so great talking to you. And I'm really, really excited about your biological background. You wouldn't believe it because it's something that, you know, I never thought I'll meet someone in UEP with that background. So yeah, likewise, I'm I'm very I'm um I'm excited. I'm a little bit speechless because it's it's um an odd coincidence that we would both be very interested in the mycelium or just biomaterials. And I've always been saying to myself, I need to chat with people who have more of an economics background or know more about the social impact investing sphere, which you're learning about through one of your classes. So um, super, super great that we got random, randomly paired up, you know, that was fate, I guess, but I, I would definitely love to, to, to chat more and, and want to hear more about your project for sure. So we'll definitely, have to, good. We'll definitely keep talking. Yeah. Thanks again, Laura. It was really great to chat with you. What a, what a nice you. way to start off my Friday morning here <laughs> on yes. the song weekend. Um, so again, good to see you. I'll uh, see you on Tuesday. All right. Take care, Peter. Thank <laughs> you.